So this morning's reading is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 to 46. Then, as, our, as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our, our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord the God of your fathers told you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected twelve of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshgol, and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large, with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes, and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land. I swore to give your forefathers except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, he will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, You shall not enter it either, but your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive Your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight, as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, Tell them, do not go up and fight, because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance you marched up to the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. 
They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you for that reading, Andrew, and uh, very good morning to all of you. Um, yes, I'm pleased that I, uh, I heard that it was a good conference yesterday, and I'm glad you all enjoyed Carrie Sandon. And uh, I'll just back up uh, what Andrew said about the men's conference. David Cook is a great guy. He's a Presbyterian, but you can't have everything, can you? Uh, but he's, uh, he's a great guy. I've known him for many years, and uh, I remember him giving me some very good advice as a, as a grandfather. He'd become a grandfather, and uh, we were talking about being a grandfather, and he, uh, I said, you got any tips? He said, yes, Wally, it's very simple. As a grandfather, keep your mouth shut and your wallet open. <laughs> Isn't that great? Great advice. Wonderful spiritual advice. Let me pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our Creator and Redeemer. Amen. As we go through life, you have seen and probably have seen, will see again, opportunities are presented to us. Some are small opportunities, some are life-changing. God presents us people with opportunities, primarily to follow Jesus Christ and to live for God, and one can take that opportunity or reject it. God gives Christians opportunities to reach the lost, for example, he might bring somebody across your path, a neighbour or somebody you work with or somebody at university or somebody maybe even a family member who doesn't know Jesus Christ and he gives you the opportunity to reach them. Or he'll give Christians the opportunity to grow spiritually, maybe learn more of the gospel, more of the scriptures, have a more serious prayer life. God will present you with ministry opportunities even life-changing ministry opportunities. There may be some here this morning who are in that very position. As a church, God presents us with opportunities. And we can take these opportunities or we can miss them. We can find reasons not to take them. Well, in the reading you heard from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 to 46, God presents the Israelites with a huge opportunity to enter the promised land, but they wouldn't enter. And instead of living a beautiful, prosperous uh, life in the land that God had given them, they lived hard, difficult, and frustrating years for 38 years in the wilderness. And in this passage which were read, there were four parts, four parts to this tragedy, if you like, or four parts to this opportunity. Firstly, God presents the opportunity. Verses 19 to 25. Now you must understand, it, it might feel a bit odd reading it at first, but, but uh, here Moses is not speaking about this generation which is in front of him. Okay, He's not speaking about those people who he's speaking to who are standing at the edge of the promised land. He's reminding them of the previous generation who 38 years earlier, like them, were poised to enter the land, but who didn't enter. Moses is telling this present generation who are on the edge of the land what happened to their father's generation when they were in the same position. Verse 19, as the Lord commanded us, we set out from Horeb. Horeb is the mountain where God gave the uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, we set out from Horeb towards the hill country of the Ammonites through the terrible desert and we reached Kadesh Barnea. Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is where you can see the promised land from. And God said, verse 21, this is the land I am giving to you. 
Now go and take possession of it. But they were reluctant. And they sent 12 men to spy out the land. And the report back was, verse 25, it's a good land, but, verse 28, the people are strong and fearsome. They have big cities and fortresses. So God presents this opportunity to enter this fruitful land where they could live and prosper, where they could uh, have a home. It would be their land. They would worship God as a nation together in that land. So what would they do? Well, secondly, verse 26, they wouldn't enter the land. And they rebelled against God in three ways. One, they grumbled and said wrong things about God. Verse 27, the Lord hates us, they said. He brought us out of Egypt to destroy us at the the hands of the Amorites. But God didn't say that. He said the opposite. He said he loved them and he brought them to the promised land and that he would defeat the armies before them. They said wrong things about God. And people often say wrong things about God today, don't they, in our society? People always seem to grumble about God. They see the sufferings of the world or the tragedies or some catastrophes and God always gets the blame. They don't think good, reasonable, honouring things about God that he made us, therefore he must want us. They just grumble. The second reason they rebelled and didn't take this opportunity was fear. Verse 28, the spies said, the people are stronger than us, the warriors are fierce. And in verse 29, this terrified the Israelites, so they didn't obey God. And again, that happens today. Fear, for example, often stops people from becoming Christians. I think in one sense it did me many years, for many years. Fear of what friends will say. Fear of what family will say. Fear of change. People think if they become a Christian, well, they'll have to stop going here, they'll have to stop going there, I'll have to give this up, I won't be able to do that, etc., etc. And so it's fear. God presents people with an opportunity to believe in him and follow him, but fear stops them. Maybe that's somebody here this morning. The third reason they rebelled was they forgot what God had already done for them. That previous generation of Israelites had seen God do the impossible. They'd seen him bring them out of Egypt, which was impossible. They'd seen him destroy Pharaoh's army. And Moses promised that God would continue to do that. Verse 30, he will fight for you as he did in Egypt. In the wilderness, when they they came out of of Egypt and were in the wilderness, there was no food or water, but verse 30, he provided for them. He carried them in their weariness. It was easy to get lost in that huge barren desert, but, verse 32, he provided fire by night and a cloud by day to guide them. Verse 30, before your very eyes, Moses says, you saw God do these things. They'd seen God do all these things for them, and now God is saying, in in, in essence, he's saying in verse 21, don't be frightened or discouraged. You've seen all that God has done for you already. He will do the same. But, verse 32, in spite of all this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, and that is the main reason they wouldn't enter the land. They didn't trust him. And we Christians can do the same thing. 
God presents us with an opportunity for ministry, for example, and we don't believe that he can do it, even though he's done huge things for us before. I find that we often have short memories as Christians about what God has done in the past and what he's capable of. We have short memories, which often stops us taking more opportunities. Do you? Even now, are you not taking some God-given opportunity, not believing that he will do it, but you've forgotten the incredible things that he's done for you in the past? It's easy to do. Maybe you're facing, maybe it's slightly different, maybe you're facing a difficult situation, maybe a tragedy, or a tragedy in relationships, or a betrayal, and it's hurtful, and you can't seem to see a way through these things. It's just too huge for you. It's too big for you. Well, think. Think. God has brought you through difficulties before. He's brought you through hurts before and tragedies before. Why say that you can't trust him now? And if you are anxious and agonizing over something right now and can't seem to see through it, remember verse 32. In spite of this, you didn't trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey. Who went ahead of you on your journey. God isn't not only with you in this, he's gone ahead of you on your journey. He's prepared the ground, so to speak. You just have to go and trust. God has brought you to this point in life. He's not going to let you down now. And so in faith, do it. Thirdly, there are consequences to disobeying God. Verse 34, when the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and he said, none of this generation shall see the land that I've given to your forefathers except Caleb and Joshua. But, verse 40, as for you, Moses says, God said, turn around and set out towards the desert. To be blunt, they didn't trust God, which incurred God's anger. Now, as Jay explained very well last week, God's anger isn't like me losing my temper with my kids. It's not like me flying into a rage because they've upset me over something and I'll lose my temper. God's anger isn't like that. The word rebelled in verse 26 is a continuous verse, meaning this here is not a one-off rebellion. It's not a one-off bad behavior by them. It's always been their attitude towards God. This is not their first or even an occasional disobedience. It's what their life has been like. It's what they were like in Egypt. When they were slaves in Egypt, they grumbled and they cried out to God. When he was rescuing them, they feared and they grumbled again. When God did rescue them, they went reluctantly out of Egypt. In the wilderness, they grumbled, Oh, we've got no food, we've got no water, this is too hard. In Exodus chapter 16, why didn't God leave us, leave us in Egypt? We had meat in Egypt. We could eat as much as we wanted in Egypt. Why didn't God leave us there? This is not a one-off rebellion for them. It's been their attitude in life. They've never really wanted God. And that is sin. And that attitude always incurs God's anger. God made us to be in a relationship with him, to be with him forever. And if we're not, that is sin. And sin always destroys, always. 
It always destroys. Therefore, God is always angry at sin. That is God's anger. And that's still true. If you're a Christian and you fail or you fall into some sin, God is not angry with you. He might be, from a human perspective, disappointed maybe, but he's not angry. But if your life is lived is not lived for God, if you just live for yourself and what you want in life, then God's anger or his displeasure is upon you already. You are not being what God made you to be. And what does God want from you? What does God want from you and I in life? Take away everything else, all the bad behavior, etc. What does God want from you foundationally in your life? What does he want? Well, it's very simple. In John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus said, My Father's will is, okay? My Father's will is that everyone who looks to Jesus and believes in him will have eternal life. That is God's will for your life and for mine at a fundamental level. Everyone who looks to Jesus and believes will have eternal life. That's what God wants from you. God wants you and I to believe in his son. Otherwise, we're out of fellowship with him. And so refusing to live for God, our creator, has consequences. For the Israelites, verse 40, it was life in the wilderness. There was no promised land. For us, the promised land is heaven, eternal life, which we enter by believing in Christ. If we reject God, eternity is spent, so to speak, in the wilderness. The older I get, the more I realize it is very unwise to take God lightly, as many people do today. It is very unwise. Yes, verse 31, God is a heavenly father who cares for his children, but like any good father, God also disciplines. He expects us to be responsible. And we mustn't regard God as a sort of big soft Father Christmas in the sky who gives us everything that we want with no demands and no responsibilities. God is to be honored and obeyed. And he has prepared the promised land for people who believe, not for people who won't believe. And verse 36, although some escaped his judgment, Caleb, Joshua, those who continued to rebel didn't escape his judgment. The final movement in this drama is Israel's response to God's judgment. And it's not what it appears on the surface. Verse, 31, verse 41 gives the impression that these people are truly sorry and they now want to obey God. But actually, that's not the case. Their words, we have sinned against the Lord, we will go up and fight as the Lord has commanded us, they sound very, those words sound genuine and they sound penitent, but they're, still not, but they're still sinning against God. They're still not trusting God. They don't believe that he'll carry out the judgment upon them which he said. God said, verse 40, now turn around and go into the wilderness, but they now say that they're going to go up into the hill country. It's disobedience again. God told them one thing, they're going to do another. 
They're also arrogant towards God. Verse 41 again, everyone put on his weapons thinking that it was easy to go up into the hill country before God had said it would be difficult. But he would be with them and he would defeat the armies. But they think here, verse uh, verse 41, that it will be easy and that they can do it. Why? Well, because they've got weapons. They've got armory. They don't need God. Moses told them again, verse 42, don't go. God says, I won't be with you. You will be defeated. And in verse 43, Moses says, I told you, but you wouldn't listen. In your arrogance, you marched into the hill country. That is still their attitude. Arrogance. And the Ammonites defeated them. So what they said and did sounded like genuine repentance. They even wept before God after their defeat. But they didn't weep because they dishonored God. They didn't weep because they disobeyed God. It was because they'd been defeated. They said the right things, but it wasn't true repentance. If somebody does you wrong, they can say all the right things. I'm sorry, I've done you wrong, I apologize, I am sorry. But if their life attitude doesn't change towards you because of what you've been through, then they're not truly repentant. And that's exactly the same with us and God. I can feel sorry for wrong things I've done in my life. I can sometimes weep over them. I can say sorry to God every so often. But if I go on living as I've always lived and not living for God, ignored him in my life, and don't change my life to live for God and obey him and follow Christ, then my words, my feelings of remorse, mean nothing. They mean nothing. And if that's the case, I'll travel through life, but as God says in verse 42, I will not be with you. It is a meaningless life if God is not with you. Life is meaningless if God is not with you. There's a spiritual lesson here for Christians too. If we embark on a ministry or make a move in life and rely on our own skills and resources, it will often fail spiritually unless God is very gracious to us. Because in a sense... God is not in it. Follow what happened here carefully. Initially, the Israelites wouldn't trust God because they were too weak and the enemy was too great. They believed that the task was too big. Now, verse 41, they trust their own weapons and the task seems easy. They can do it. And because of that, they're defeated. As Christians, we can do the same. We might feel God calling us to do something but we haven't the resources or the finances or the skills, so we won't start upon this thing, whatever it is, until we've built up resources. Then we believe we can do it. Now, relying on resources might be the way in industry and politics, but in God's kingdom, it is often not the way. No, it is not God's way for us to be stupid and irresponsible and not pray and discuss and think and pray things through. Of course it's not. And look at what we have to do and look at what God has already done. Of course we must look. That is wisdom. But it is God's way to stretch us and test us 
And it is his way to teach us to trust him more through these things. So when an opportunity comes to honour God in some way, or do something which furthers his kingdom, we don't not do it only because we lack resources, or because we don't know how it will turn out. No, pray, consider, discuss, trust God, do right, and he will be faithful. That is more how God works. When the chips are down, when things seem to be against it, resources are few, it's a huge task, but it will further the gospel and honor Jesus Christ. That is often when God works and when he provides. That's very relevant for some churches here in New Zealand right now, isn't it? For a few churches which have done what you've done. It's very relevant for this church. Your resources, buildings, financial stability for ministers and their families, their status in society, etc., etc., much of it has been stripped away. Much of your resources have gone. And not through silliness or pride has this sacrifice come about, but for a godly gospel principle, it's almost been forced upon you. And not to be overdramatic, in a real sense, you have taken the opportunity, or you've entered the land, so to speak. Therefore, though it will be difficult, brothers and sisters, the time ahead will be difficult. It will be fraught with issues, and some pain, and decisions, and hard work, and more sacrifices. However, God will be with you. And not only is he with you, he has gone ahead of you, and he's prepared the way. And he will provide, and he will continue to bless your ministry. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that these, this generation of Israelites did obey you and they entered the land and we thank you for that. But we also thank you for the lessons that we can learn in not taking those opportunities. Father, there will be people in this congregation this morning who are facing huge opportunities and maybe difficulties and trials and I pray, Heavenly Father, that they would know your presence with them and not only know your presence with them, that you have gone ahead with them. You have gone ahead of them in their ministry. And I pray that you would heal them and bless them and strengthen them to become what you want them to be. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen.